Love God, love your neighbor. But there's more to it than that, and I have long sensed that some find it easy to give lip service to the first part in order to focus on loving our neighbors as ourselves. everybody. It's Reformation Sunday, and we hope this finds you well. Our service is for Sunday, October 25th, which is the last Sunday before Reformation Sunday, October 31st. The service has passages from the lectionary. They are from the last chapter of Deuteronomy, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and Matthew 22. The title of the sermon is, wait for it, Back to Basics. And our lector today it happens to be the redheaded preacher's wife, Beth Lanford. Let's go celebrate. For a good part of the early fall, we heard the stories of Moses and the journey to to Mount Sinai, uh, getting the law and journeying in the wilderness. In today's reading, Moses' life is brought to an end. The passage is Deuteronomy 32, verses 1 through 12. Then Moses went up from the plain of Moab to Mount Nebo, <clears throat> to the top of Pigash, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, Al-Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar, the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give to your descendants. I have let you see, see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Pori, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired, and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. And the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land, and for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. This ends the reading from Deuteronomy. Our epistle comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. We learn about the character of Paul's earlier work there. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we pray, seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others, though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. This ends the epistle lesson. The gospel reading continues from Matthew. Today we hear from chapters 22, verses 34 through 46. Throughout this chapter, Jesus has been peppered with questions from those who want to get him in trouble, to embarrass himself, or perhaps to learn something. Our story picks up after another such exchange. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest in the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Sadducees, no, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David, by the Spirit, calls him, by the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, the Lord is my 
said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Here ends the Gospel and the scriptures for today's Reformation Sunday service. Thanks be to God for this God's holy word. October 31st has a special significance. You know this, right? It's the day St. Peter's would have served at a just harvest, as it's the fifth Saturday of the year, fifth Saturday of the month, excuse me. It's Halloween. However, trick or treating happens this year. And it's Reformation Sunday. That's October 31st is Reformation Day. October 31st is the day in history when Martin Luther posted his 95 theses or statements for debate on the doors of a castle church in Wittenberg, Germany in 1517. This was the kickoff to what became known as the Protestant Reformation. The Reformation caused radical change in the Western world, and I mean radical in the original sense of the word. It took the church back to its roots, its New Testament roots, back to basics that had been overgrown over centuries by illiteracy among the general populations, by corrupt papacies, and an emphasis on church regulations and rules. The basics were remembered in slogan form by faith alone, by grace alone, and by scripture alone. Reclaiming those central tenets and rejecting much of what the 16th century Roman Catholic Church taught and required that changed the world up to this very instant. It was a serious and deeply theological back-to-basics movement, and over the years there has been a lot of reconciliation. Some Protestant churches reclaim some of the Roman Catholic aspects of worship, for example, and Catholicism has embraced, again, the foundations of grace, faith, and scripture, too, over the centuries. There are still significant differences, but that will not stop us from singing They'll Know We Are Christians, written by a Roman Catholic. Our time with COVID has made many of us go back to basics in terms of what you and I need to live. Like a band wandering in the desert, we've had to drop or suspend things we used to enjoy that were even part of our identity, or so we thought. Isolation may have brought some of us closer to God in prayer and meditation and maybe by watching church on YouTube. Financial or job loss makes us shop more frugally and stick to essentials and maybe some folks lose their shelter and move in with family or friends if they can. Lack of a routine cast us into what is still mind-messing drift. We go back to basics, grab an anchor to hold on to. Well, some of us heard Deuteronomy 34 
and reflect on one basic of life, mortality. Will you or I die while the world is still more or less like this? Moses, at least, got to see the promised land. We count our blessings even if they are not as complete as we'd have wished. Moses was greatly honored by his people and loved by God. He leaves us in a passage of simple dignity. This can lead some of us to ask, what will my legacy be? And a truism may pay a call. How we finish something is more important in a lot of cases than how we started. Are we finishing how we want to, as far as it is up to us? These are basics for those rounding third in their earthly life. First Thessalonians offers us faith basics of tenderness and courage, which I revisit at the end. But in Matthew, Jesus really brings us back to focus on God's bottom line. Jesus was asked which commandment in the law is the greatest. He replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus takes us back to basics. There is so much in this coupling of commandments that time will not allow me to even go near. If you've heard me preach long enough, you know that this passage, these two commandments, are the foundation of my ethics. Maybe most of us say the same. But have you and I explored this passage very much? Remember, Jesus had not been asked for the main two commandments, but he gave two. He gave a second one, a scholar wrote, because the question for one main principle is too narrow. Jesus is not the first person in history to pair these two commandments together as like one. He is unique, though, in fusing and explicitly exalting these two above the rest of the law. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love God, love your neighbor. But there's more to it than that, and I have long sensed that some find it easy to give lip service to the first part in order to focus on loving our neighbors as ourselves. We are also accustomed to understanding the neighbor a la the parable of the Good Samaritan, if not also Matthew 25. The neighbor is someone who needs help. Nothing wrong with that. But again, it can be part of an almost skipping the greatest and first commandment that we are to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. Well, what does that mean, anyway? I am guilty of following the lead of a seminary classmate, Brian Sergio, who in a song for kids put it, Love God the most and your neighbor as yourself. I've rephrased it sometimes as, love God with all you have, 
or love God with all you are. Again, these are not wrong, but I've never unpacked loving God, as the Bible says, with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. Plus, in the original, in Deuteronomy 6, it goes with all your might, not all your mind. What's a person to do? Love the Lord with all your love the Lord your God with all your heart. Speaking this command to the Hebrews back in the desert day, they are reminded, and so now are we, that this Lord our God, Yahweh our God, not just God, the Lord your God, Yahweh your God, is the God who loved them first, and is the God who loves us first. Yahweh made the promises to Abraham and Sarah, protected the lineage God's way, and later delivered and rescued their descendants from slavery in Egypt after centuries, and then God provided for and defended their descendants for 40 years in the wilderness, giving them the law, a gift, despite all their ungrateful moaning and even plotting against Moses. Love the Lord your God. Love the God who acted in love for us and toward us first. The first letter of John is quoted, quotes this theme, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love this God with all your heart. Do you and I spend time with this before jumping to how we and our church can love our neighbors near and far? The Hebrew for heart here is lev. And the Greek is karda. My Oxford Study Bible annotations say that in Deuteronomy's time, lev meant one's will and mind. Another source said it meant one's center. Love the God who loved us first with all our center, all our orientation, our thought and will that make decisions. Hmm. And I'm not saying emotion is not part of that. Love this God with all of our soul. Again, in Hebrew, soul is nephesh, and in Greek, it's psyche, or psyche. My study Bible says here, soul means our self, our vital being. Elsewhere, I read that in Hebrew, the soul is the instinctive faculty more interior than the thinking and willing center of our heart. Love the Lord our God who loved us first with all of our vital being, our deep inside instinctive faculty. Hmm. With our minds. Well, did we not get mind in the Hebrew understanding of heart? Yes. One writer spoke about the Greek and said that the original might, love the Lord God with all your might, the original might could have been replaced in Matthew with mind due to the intelligence of Jesus himself. 
My Bible suggested that might, going back to the Hebrew, expresses the idea of loving God with the full measure of one's devotion. All one's might. Frederick Bruner applied it like this. Good thinking loves God as much as do good feeling and good willing. Jesus wants to accent believers' mental, rational love of God. So like an old UCC slogan says, our faith is 2,000 years old. Our thinking is not. All, however, in loving service to the God who loves us first. When you and I, if you and I, rush to love our neighbors as ourselves, to bear witness to our faith and love and hope, to our commitments to equity, equality, compassion, and reconciliation, Jesus calls us back to basics. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Oh, and a second is like it. According to the majority of commentators, this transition of Jesus to the love of neighbor as ourselves equates the second commandment with the first in importance, but without what one writer calls a secularizing absorption of the first commandment by the second. The second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, flows from the first. The power and direction for loving our neighbor as ourselves comes from our living in the first commandment. Loving God, the Lord our God, all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. All my life I have understood, and I may still understand, The words, love your neighbor as yourself, as meaning I should love my neighbor like I love myself. Since most of us love ourselves instinctually and even primarily, what's the first instinct of the human race? Self-preservation. That's a love of self, you could say. Since most of us love ourselves instinctually, so should we love our neighbors as ourselves. But a spiritual director friend of mine and a commentator I respect have both put a different spin on that. What they say this means is, love your neighbor that way you do. Love, be yourself in how you love your neighbor. Bring your gifts, your personality, your sense of humor. Love your neighbor as you yourself would show love. In that way you do. Loving your neighbor, thanks to Jesus' teaching, moves us beyond literal neighbors and communities, although lots of neighborhoods can use all the loving they can get. It is common for churches to see love of neighbor expanded and become multi-layered, multi-dimensional in application. We love our neighbors by partnering with Aegis Harvests every fifth Saturday, with the Night Ministry and the recent Undy 500, collaborating with the National Alliance for Mental Illness before COVID cut us short, having the rummage sale, and so on. 
We love our neighbors broader through the church's gifts to OCWM, our church's wider mission, which reaches around the globe. And we love our neighbors by trying to right the wrongs of injustice, to lift the thongs of the yoke, to not only feed persons, but organize to try and decrease poverty and hunger itself. Wear a mask. Sandy Ovalle of Sojourners wrote, In our worlds today, God's vision means our neighbor is not the one proximate to us, but the one whose life is at risk. Some lives are at risk because of COVID and sometimes the flouting of what scientists recommend and what some rules are about, like wearing masks and other things. Some lives are at risk because others refuse to love them with a mask on. Some lives are at risk because polluting companies move into their neighborhoods, gravely threatening their health, and the people in those communities can't afford to move out. Some lives are at risk because long ago blueprints were laid out for what communities would get good mortgage rates, economic opportunities, and thus the financial resources to build good hospitals, attract good grocery stores, good schools, and easy access to the arts. Now the great-grandchildren of some of those prevented from access to those better neighborhoods fall victim to COVID, higher rates of heart disease, diabetes, food deserts, which can relate to diabetes, unemployment, which a lot of times with a lack of employment opportunities leads to one employment, one way to make money, and that's dealing and all its consequences. Some of us love our neighbors by ensuring redlining remains in the past, and it isn't even all in the past. Some of us love our neighbors by helping revitalize such communities. Some of us love our neighbors by working to end voter suppression through laws or via the ballot box itself. And some love our neighbors by helping them vote physically. Frederick Bruner wrote, A claim of love for individuals is, that is not combined with a quest for, social, for justice to groups of individuals is a caricature of Jesus' command. Social justice Christians deserve the hearing of evangelical Christians at this point. Oh, and 1 Thessalonians, Paul combined both of the great commandments in those eight verses without invoking them, but I found them without looking too hard. The motive for him and his fellow apostles, his fellow evangelists, to, quote, get courage in our God to declare to the Thessalonians the gospel, despite great oppression, obstacles, that motive came from the stated desire to please God. Loving the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, and mind, they were moved to love these neighbors in Thessalonica in spite of forces lined up against them. Why? To bring them the news of Jesus Christ, which would please God. 
Jesus, proof that God loved them first. Well, to do that, they needed courage. So they sought it in God so they could share the gospel to please God. They loved God thoroughly. And their new unknown Thessalonian neighbors meeting a spiritual need they did not even know they probably had. Probably did not even know they had. They loved God so deeply, they went to God for the courage to show these neighbors their love for them by introducing them to Christ. And that pleases God, which you want to do with a love for God. So with our gifts, our callings, and that way we do, let us live joyously and mindfully by the two greatest commandments of love grace of God and to the glory of God. Amen. So love your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and your might, if you want to. And love your neighbor as yourself. Back to basics. We give thanks. God bless you for tuning in, and have a good week. Bye.